I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. I have scattered you favor to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless son, declares the Lord, for I am your master to you, and I will take you from one a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And that is Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio, and we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varela, and in front of me, like always, the president, Steve Van Hartog. What's up, everybody? Good to be with you again today. How we doing, Steve? We're doing well. Yeah? Doing well, staying busy. Staying busy. Busy is good. Busy is definitely good, especially with everything going back. And I hear so- back to school. Back to school. Yeah. Um, we'll see how that looks. I see how that looks. I know that a lot of people are doing uh, homeschooling this year for the first time. It's been big. We had a lot of questions about that yeah. last few weeks. Yeah. You guys had a, 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 a conference conference yeah. here at the, at the ministry. So uh, hopefully that went really well. Yeah. So that's good. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. This week we have a second time guest, Dr. Michael T. Cooper. Uh, he came out on episode uh, 127 on the study of the Ephesian movement. Mm. And he has his website, uh, ephesiology.com. Uh, if you guys have not got, uh, heard that podcast, please go back and listen to that podcast. Uh, just really, really good uh, podcast on just uh, church planning and what the church looks like and just a lot of different stuff. And check out his website. It's really good. There's a lot of teaching tools there as well. You bet. And well, this week we're bringing him back on his new book, When He when evangelicals sneeze curing the american church from the plague of identity loss mm. um this is going to be an interesting podcast just because uh we might i don't know touch on some things that people might get bothered by like yeah uh just how politics have uh uh we have made politics our our, our christian identity yeah our definition for what it means to be a follower of Christ. I just see that so often, so prevalent on social media. Yes. You know, um, you just see the identity in politics as opposed to who who we should be as followers of Christ. Exactly. So uh, I, I really hope for our listeners, please just uh, play, place close attention of what Dr. Michael uh, Cooper uh, is saying and what he's not saying. Uh, again, you know, um, our identity is first in Christ and everything else is secondary. Um, and, and again, you know, some of us who are listening, uh, have certain views. Uh, some of us are in the right. Some of us are in the left. Some are Republican and some are Democrat, but, uh, um, uh, Dr. Cooper is just going to unpack some of this and, and, and say, who, who are we really in, in Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, who are we really following? Yeah. So it should be really good. So uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Again, uh, please don't forget to subscribe to Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher Radio. And please visit our website at bridgeminlaredo.org. All right, Steve. Well, let's get this podcast started. Let's do it. Dr. Michael T. Cooper currently serves as an executive for Mission Agency Training National Leaders in Evangelism, Discipleship, Leadership Development, and Church Planting. He is a former president and CEO of the International NGO. In 2012, he founded a business as mission initiative that focused on helping alleviate spiritual and economic poverty in the developing world. Welcome back, Michael T. 
Cooper to Bridge Radio. Uh, thanks, Abe. It's great to be back with you all. Well, uh, Michael, thank you very much. You know, our you came on on episode 128 on the study of the Ephesian movement. Uh, I mean, that podcast got a lot of listens, too. I know that people were thoroughly wow. blessed uh, with that. But today uh, we are we're going to be talking about your new book, When Evangelical Sneeze, the Curing, Curing the American Church from the Plague of Identity Loss. And man, um, I was going through your book and um, how relevant uh, this book is in where we're at right now with our country, with the election coming up and just everything that we just see on social media. And I was like, wow, I, my, my wife uh, cannot put the book down at all. Uh, she was reading and she was oh, like, wow. oh, man, like this is so true. So and and, and I love that we, you know, we're uh, as we move forward here in a little bit and, 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 and asking you some questions about the book, how we start dealing with just our identity and politics and then who we are. And I, I found that interesting because, again, on social media, uh, we just see a lot of stuff just from the left and the right uh, amongst Christians. And you're just like, I, I, I sometimes are scratching my head, you know. Um, yeah. because you know, I'm, I ask those questions like, hold on, who are we as Christians or as evangelicals? Like, are we in Christ or are we in our, our, our parties or affiliations or whatever that might be? Yeah. It's, you know what? We live in a absolutely crazy time for <laughs> sure. And, uh, social media of course has contributed a lot of this craziness mm. as we're very well aware. Yeah. So, so, uh, uh, Michael, why do you believe that we are in a pivotal point in the history of Christianity here in the United States? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think we're at that point in this country, um, largely because of what we're seeing in, in terms of uh, a real divisiveness mm. between uh, evangelicals. I mean, we would expect it, wouldn't we, between evangelicals and those who might be more liberal mm. of the mainline churches. We would expect that kind of division. But among evangelicals, that division is becoming, at least it seems to me, as I'm looking at our country and uh, the, the things that we're seeing in social media, just as you referred to, mm. uh, it just seems like the division is becoming increasingly acute. Mm. Um, to such a point where I, I think, at least it seems to me, and this is one of the motivations for writing the book, um, that, that we've lost our identity. We, we don't know who we are anymore. Mm. Um, and our, our identity is much more formed around a political position mm. or a social position. Mm. And uh, no longer is it formed around the gospel. Um, and, and I, I think that is going to create uh, a real issue come November 4th, <laughs> mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, because I'm very concerned that if, if between now and then, as evangelicals, if we're not able to unite around God's mission, then on November 4th, it is just going to become uh, terrible. 
I think, for for the church, uh, for the evangelical church in the United States. You know, I found it very interesting in your book. Uh, I, I love that you uh, give statistics uh, throughout your book, which I, I love. Uh, one of them said uh, in the beginning, it said, according to Barna Research Group, U.S. adults perceive evangelical through the lens of politics rather than theology or faith-inspired actions of compassion and justice. As a result, only three out of 10 Americans have a positive perception of evangelicals with 15 percent holding somewhat negative and 10 percent very negative perception of, of, of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we began to see this trend uh, back in uh, uh, George W. Bush's presidency, mm. where there was a, a shift uh, more toward a negative view of what evangelicals were and are because they were viewed increasingly uh, as a political body more than they were a religious body. Mm. And, uh, and so what we've seen, I think, over you know, the past couple decades is um, this loss of identity that has become uh, revolved around a political party primarily um, and and it has become so entwined in that party that uh, when the outside world looks at what an evangelical is, they see that party. And, and you know, this is a perception, and I address this a little bit in the book, this is a perception that's not just in North America, but around the world. Mm. Uh, when I when I travel and when I'm interacting with evangelicals who, who as I note in the book, uh, make up the majority of evangelicals, uh, that is, those being outside of the United States. Uh, there are more evangelicals around the world than there are inside the United States. But, but they feel this as well, because that um, uh, perception of what an evangelical is is largely formed in the United States, and then other evangelicals around the world are stigmatized with it. And this is where, where I come up with the title for the book, When Evangelical Sneeze. It's a play off of uh, uh, a, a diplomat who, uh, in, the, in the, I believe it was the 18th century, quipped, when France sneezes, all of your catches are cold, meaning that the implication of what was going on in France would impact the rest of Europe. And I feel that's the same in our context right now, that we as evangelicals, when we sneeze, that ultimately it gets to evangelicals around the world, and it impacts them. Um, right now, it seems it impacts them in a negative way. But mm -hmm. ultimately, what I'm trying to get at in the book is that, you know what, let's sneeze a good virus here. Let's really understand who we are as evangelicals. So that when we do say something or when we do uh, acts of, of love to our neighbor, that that is what we become known for rather than for a, a political affiliation uh, or a social issue or, or something to that effect. Yeah, and you said that the spread of American influence, some might say disease on churches around the world, does not go unnoticed. But he says that you say it, but at other times we're immune to what we export. And I find that interesting that we don't even pay attention to things that we're doing here. 
And as we sent out missionaries all over the, the globe, how we're transporting that type of Christianity or evangelicalism to other countries. Right. And this has been, you know, one of the perennial problems in missions uh, since the birth of modern missions of William Carey mm. is that we tend to export a form of Christianity that we're most familiar with. Mm. Um, because after all, I mean, I, I, I'm this way, I'm sure you are as well, that we, we tend to believe that the form of Christianity that I believe is a biblical form. Mm. And so naturally, when we go overseas, we try to uh, employ that same biblical form in a different context. And what we fail often to realize is that our, our understanding of Christianity is oftentimes shaped by the culture from which we are coming. Mm. And, uh, and we don't realize that really until we're outside of the country and we begin to see that you know, there are some things that just aren't making sense or don't seem to fit in a different cultural context. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, so true. So, um, Michael, let's get into some of the specifics, specifics about the book. Um, can you talk about the uh, uh, American kaleidoscope of evangel- evangelicalism? I, I found it interesting how you just uh, uh, mentioned that and how you put it in the book. Yeah, well, you know, I can remember as a child uh, looking through a kaleidoscope, and I'm sure everybody has when you hold it up to a light, you, you twist the little twisty thing, and it makes all kinds of interesting shapes. Mm. It's still one kaleidoscope, but the pieces in it just are very distinct, um, and, and they give interesting patterns. And it seemed to me that as I think about evangelicalism in the context of the United States, that's something of what we're seeing, Mm. is this kaleidoscope of different understandings of what evangelical is. And uh, and so I I just simply talk about four of those in the book, and there are many more, but just simply trying to... uh, paint a picture of the diversity of evangelicalism um, it was what I was attempting here. And so I talk about what might be called uh, evangelical deconstructionism, mm-hmm. which seems to be rather popular, uh, particularly among uh, millennials and, and Gen Y and Zs, where you know they've looked at Christianity and they see that it is in want in many ways. Uh, it's, it's misogynistic, it's patriarchal, um, it has flaws to it. And, and so they attempt to deconstruct these things. But one of the things that I've noticed is that um, that deconstruction in some cases goes so far that uh, evangelicals actually begin to lose their faith or they walk away from the faith. And mm. of course, we've seen this in a number of recent, recent uh, instances. Um, Rob Bell, of course, comes immediately to mind, as well as others. So there's not a, there hasn't been uh, a lot of effort in terms of, well, if it's not this, then what is it? Mm. And then I talked briefly about a postmodern evangelicalism, not in the sense uh, postmodernism as it's commonly talked about, 
but it's what it really means in, in the art world and in the architecture world. And that is a recovery of elements of the past, bringing them into the present and seeing them utilize uh, 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 it in a modern way or in a contemporary way. And so uh, when I talk about this later in the book, I really look to uh, two theologians in particular, one uh, Ghanaian theologian, Kwame Gubiako, and then uh, Thomas Oden, um, uh, an American theologian. And what I love, love about these two men is that they look to the past and they see uh, a historical orthodoxy that was believed by everyone, everywhere, and for all time. And they're trying to bring that into the present and say, you know, here is where we find our anchor uh, for our for our identity. Um, and, I, and I think that's important for us uh, today to be able to find a theological anchor, mm-hmm. if you will. And then, of course, I talk about... Uh, if that were sides that were leaning more to the left, I talk about sides leaning a little bit more to the right. And of course, we are reminded of fundamentalism mm. um, that, you know, at the, in the 1900s, uh, it was anti intellectual. Uh, kind of took a position as what uh, you know, what is. Uh, the church did the, the academy was uh, Jerusalem to do with Athens kind of idea. There's this separation, uh, a division, if you will, between Christ and culture. And, uh, and so it's very separatistic and almost isolationist in, in uh, its perspective. And then I talk about another group, and, you know, this has been such a hard group to discuss because I think it's here where we see the greatest tensions right now in uh, American politics. And that's the group that I refer to as Trump radicals. Um, Michael, can you just describe the current U.S. Religi- religious climate and the Trump jellicles? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's not a term that originates with me. It's been used uh, before, mostly in the media, to describe a particular voting block uh, of Americans who are commonly uh, evangelical. Uh, they would be uh, socially conservative, uh, pro-life, uh, really championing the sanctity of human life. Um, it, particularly, in, of course, in regards to the rights of the unborn, um, they would typically be pro-gun and support the right to bear weapons, and and even in public. And and of course, we see this in different uh, areas of the country, um, especially here in Texas. Mostly, yeah, <laughs> we like yeah. we like yeah. our, we like our guns here. Pew pew. <laughs> right, that's right. Yeah. Um, they're mostly white, and they would hold to a Judeo-Christian ethic uh, that sometimes is conflated with the U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Um, and so that's where some of the, 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 well, some of the confusion, I think, enters into what it means to, to be evangelical. Mm. Uh, they'll, they'll typically be very nationalistic. 
Um, they're influenced by uh, policies on immigration and citizenship and uh, things like this. They're mostly pro-Israel and um, and uh, seem to conform to an eschatological dispensationalism. Mm. Um, and so I've been looking at some of the theological characteristics of those who would align themselves with uh, the, with the current president, Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I find that I, I do find that just very interesting. Um, I, I as I'm just looking at myself, you know, and our politics uh, here in this country and just kind of the religious uh, climate and how that is all just entwined uh, with uh, uh, the the church, politics, our beliefs, and uh, like we were saying earlier, just with even the social media, where um, I'll just see like um, you know people posting like pictures of like Trump and like Jesus behind him, like holding you know. His, his, and, and, and I get it, you know, um, you know, especially here we're conservative, conservative and, you know, we voted for Trump, but our identity is not in, uh, the Republican party or Trump, or if you are a, uh, evangelical Democrat and are, you know, lean toward that place, because, um, I, I think you, even in your book, uh, uh, you, you said something to the effect that, uh, that we can be so blind blinded by our just uh, uh, our our trust in the politics that no matter what the other side presents, we are still it will never change our minds just because we are just mm-hmm. so just into that like specific you know party like uh, it doesn't matter what anybody does on each side I'm I don't care this is what I identify with yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I should say, you know, not everyone who voted for Donald Trump in the last election uh, would be considered Trump jellicals. Mm. I, I think those Trump jellicals are a very specific group, because just as you said, um, you voted for Trump, and the others voted for Trump who, who don't necessarily align with uh, his moral character, for example, and and even some of his uh, policies. Yeah. Uh, particularly um, domestic policies in regards to immigration and, and so on. So, so there are you know, the voter block that did support the Republican Party and Donald Trump, who would not necessarily be characterized as a, as a Trump jellical. But yeah, you, you know, you're you're right, um, and this goes on both sides. I mean, we have tended to form our identity around different groups that we feel like we have an affinity with. Um, if it's pro-life, then naturally it's uh, with the Republican Party. If it's pro-choice, it's with the Democratic Party. And, you know, there are many uh, Democratic evangelicals that uh, are, for example, in the black church in the United States who would be pro-choice, mm-hmm. uh, that just as white evangelicals in the Republican Party would be pro-life. Um, and, and so it's created the, uh, a real tension in our society. And, you know, it's interesting. I was with our uh, friend uh, Steve Leston the other day when we were talking about oh, this. Nice. And Steve and I are collaborating on an apologetics project. Oh. Um, and 
And we were talking about this context that we're in today of a post-truth culture. And again, this is this is going back a couple of decades now, uh, where you know we began to see coming into the media as well as, uh, well, in particular in our politics, uh, these what could be described as ad hominem arguments mm. that were no longer engaging ideas, but they were attacking people mm. and beginning to label people as bad or. You know, we can think of all kinds of uh, epithets that uh, Donald Trump has put on people today, mm. and and that that becomes you know the the strategy of people rather than really engaging with issues of truth. Mm. Um, and so we're we're in this culture today of post truth that you know whatever our group says it is what to. Uh, no matter what it is they say, or no matter even uh, in regards to their character, uh, we'll hold on to that because uh, that's who we feel like we have an affinity with and an, and an identity with. And so there's a real danger in Christians to uh, put so much of their identity in uh, group politics or, or even in a group think, if you will. Yeah, and, and the thing is is that you, you do say in your book is that we all, and I'm paraphrasing here, of course, because <laughs> um, that we all need to just stand together under one banner, and that's Christ. Um, and mm. we should really listen to our brothers and sisters on the other side who, uh, again, stand on those things with us when it comes to uh, abortion, uh, separation of church and t- state, whatever, whatever that might be, you know, that, 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 the the politics might, um, and, and say, Hey, like, let's talk about this. Cause I care about you as a person. You are my brother in Christ because, um, I know who you are and, and, and let's discuss this. Cause I see this a different way than you do. Um, and, and why are you seeing it this way? And, and and one thing just to remind me this week weekend um, or this past weekend uh, with my wife is like let's take uh, let's take this back to scripture. What is what does the Bible have to say uh, uh, about this? You know, not that the Bible is clearly going to say like oh uh, you know, vote <laughs> you have to vote Republican or Democrat. Right, right. You, know, you know what I'm saying? But um, yeah. but just looking at in that just lens of who who Christ is and what he's done for us. My next question here would be, um, do we see political tension during the time of Jesus? Oh, absolutely. You know, Jesus comes into a very politically tense uh, context. You you know, in Israel at the time, you have the Herodians on one side and the Zealots on the other. Mm. The Herodians who are aligning themselves with the Roman government and then the zealots who want to overthrow that government. Mm. And here you have Jesus coming right in the middle of that. And uh, even some of his own disciples were caught up in those political uh, ideas as well. And you think of Simon the Zealot, uh, Peter's enthusiasm when he pulled his sword and slices off the ear of the servant and and so on. Um, and I think it is really very instructive for us to look at how Jesus engaged uh, his culture mm-hmm. at the time, because I think that should inform how we go about our own cultural engagement. You know, Jesus, 
we were to talk about him and his identity, it was wrapped up in who he was as God. Mm. And, uh, and it was ultimately that issue of him being God that caused the division in, in among people. Um, and uh, it wasn't his politics. It wasn't his views on social issues. It was the fact that he identified as co-equal, co-eternal, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and that caused people to dislike them. And ultimately, of course, it, it led to his crucifixion, dividing us, and dividing us as Christians, but even, and more so, dividing us uh, as a population. It, it's not the fact that we're stigmatized because of Jesus, but rather stigmatized as a political view or a social view. Um, I, and I think this applies as much to evangelicals who might support Trump as trump evangelicals, and evangelicals who support the Black Lives Matter Foundation. And so I think, you know, rather than being stigmatized as being supporters and identified with one of those two sides, we should be stigmatized by the fact that Jesus is God. Yeah. And that when he was here, he acted in certain ways to engage people with the gospel. He healed people, he ministered to them, he fed them, uh, he proclaimed uh, the good news to them. That that is what should stigmatize us today as evangelicals. And, And we should, as evangelicals, be able to unite around that identity uh, that we find in uh, the person of Christ. Yeah, no, and I, um, so true in in your book, uh, I really like that you say that uh, Jesus did not identify as a zealot or Herodian, as you just said, neither does he identify as a Democrat or a Republican. And you just said, instead, as Paul reminds us, Jesus shows favor to each, be to one another kind, Mm -hmm. compassionate, gracious to each other, just as God in Christ showed graciousness to you, and you quote Ephesians 4.32. Um, and you say that we must endeavor to be like our king, aligned with the group that he created. I mean, I thought that was yeah. just really powerful how you went ahead and put that in your book. Um, because it's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is coming out of my previous book, Ephesiology. Yeah. Um, I get into some of the theology of the letter to the Ephesians, and in particular, uh, chapter 2, where Paul explains this really incredible thing that Jesus had done by breaking the division Mm. between the Jews and other ethnic groups. Mm. Uh, And I think that is so significant for us, because what Paul ultimately says is that Jesus did this to form new people, that we are now a household of God, united because of what Christ has done. And yet when we look at our evangelical world in the United States today, boy, we're anything but united. Yeah. Uh, we're so divided yeah. uh, among our political ideologies, among our racial ideologies, social ideologies. And I think it breaks the heart of God to mm. know that Jesus, he sent his son to be that barrier breaker so that we could all be the people of God, adopted into his family uh, for the good works that he's created us to do. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. I've, uh, and, and again, it just reminds me, uh, in, in a time where social media is, uh, the main, 
uh, way I believe that we communicate. Um, we, we just throw our, our, our thoughts out there or our issues, our theology, our political views out there in, in the world of social media. And, and we forget that that causes just uh, division. Um, like I said, mm-hmm. I see a lot of things. I, I mean, I don't even really respond, you know, I don't even, because I'm just like, oh boy. Uh, and then the same thing happens if, if I decide to put something up myself and everybody's like, no, how can you do this? And, 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 and yes, like there, I still believe that there, you know, there are, um, certain things that we're just going to have to stand up to where we just say, no, that is wrong. But some of these things that I see just Christians fight on, on social media, it's just really ridiculous. Um, I'm like, come on guys, like we need to be focusing on Christ and, and we, and we don't do that perfectly. You know, uh, I don't, you know, sometimes, you know, I, you know, my emotions get the best of me and I have to go back and, and, and repent. Um, but I think this yeah. is why your book, uh, is so important for everybody to read. And again, for our listeners out there, like we're, we're just touching a little bit on the book. You got to go out and get the book, you know, like we're not going to give it to, all, we're not going to give it all to you in a podcast. Like, please go out and get the book because <laughs> There is so much more in there that it's going to make you really think who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. You know, the, the heart of the book is really for us to do just that, to think about our identity and what Christ's done to give us this new identity uh, and what we need to do in response of not out of a works orientation, but yeah. out of the recognition that, We've been given a a grace from him, and we're Mm -hmm. to act in the same gracious way. And, uh, and, yeah, and and as I lay out in the book, I think that gracious acting out of our faith comes in three areas. And I conclude with this in in the final chapter, that that Jesus gives us this model. uh, But Jesus gives us this beautiful model of a of areas where we need to give our attention. Mm. And so in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew kind of outlines these beautifully. And in, in, in Matthew 22, we're all familiar with the great commandment mm. that uh, we're to love the one true God. And, and what I take from that is that Jesus is saying, you know what, we defend the faith, our faith in the one true God. There, there isn't... There are not multiple gods, there's one. Mm. And we do all that we do to defend our faith uh, in him as the one true God. And then in Matthew 25, we have this beautiful uh, story that Jesus is giving about how we are to care for the marginalized. Mm. You know, if there's a stranger among us, we're to be hospitable. Mm. If someone needs clothes, we're to clothe him, we're to visit the prisoner. And, uh, and he concludes that passage by saying that inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. And so there's that great compassion that we're to have to do acts of justice. And then Matthew 28, of course, is where most evangelicals are familiar, and that is the Great Commission. We're to make disciples of all nations. And, and so we see in the ministry of Jesus a model that is replicated in the ministry of Paul and then re-articulated by Jesus again in the book of Revelation. Mm. And that is the, the defense of the faith, 
the standing for justice and the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, of course, Paul beautifully uh, outlines this in First Timothy as he's charging Timothy. You know, you're to stay here to appoint leaders who are able to teach sound doctrine. Uh, and then you're to appoint leaders who are uh, capable to engage with people who are in need. And so you're to care for the widows and so on and the poor. And then, uh, of course, all throughout First Timothy is the reminder to preach the gospel, uh, to proclaim uh, Jesus and, uh, and God's desire that all would come to salvation and knowledge of the truth. And then, and then Jesus himself articulates that one more time in his letter to the church in Ephesus. And we talked about this, I think, in uh, the last episode I was on. Yes. Revelation Episode 128. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I just, I just yeah. need to point out to the people, it's episode 128, the study of the Ephesian movement, so that they can go, you know. Great. <laughs> That's a plug-in for you, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Good, thanks. I appreciate that. Um yeah, so in that, in Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus, he put three areas. He says, first, the church was to be commended, and he does commend them, because they stood against the false teaching, or the teaching of false apostles, he says. Yeah. And then the latter part of that letter says that they stood against the works of the Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans. And as I've shared before, that work uh, that they stood against was primarily the exploitation of women. And I explained that in this book as well as in Ephesiology. Then then he says, I have this one thing against you, that uh, you've lost your first love. And that first love, as I've argued, is the declaration of God's glory to the nations. Mm. And so in in Jesus's, in that final letter that he writes to Ephesus, we see those three areas, the defense of the faith, uh, the standing in the gap on justice issues, and the proclamation of the gospel. And somehow, Abe, I think, and I believe this, I, I think we can get there. I think it's going to be a challenge for us. But if we could unite around those three things and see that as who we are, that these are the marks of what it means to be God's people, the household of God, the church of God, then uh, that we could restore our voice in uh, the American context. Mm. Yeah, especially during these difficult times. I mean, man, um, there's just so much division for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Michael, here, uh, we're going to start landing the plane here, but, uh, one, one last question here, and it's, uh, it, it's kind of lengthy, but, uh, so, uh, can you just talk about the death of evangelicalism, the shifting meaning of the term and is God finished with America, American evangelicalism? Well, you know, the last nine months or so, I think has really raised this question about the value of even the term evangelical, mm. particularly in the context of uh, North America. And as you pointed out earlier, you know, the general public has means to be evangelical. And so there have been many that are questioning the value of that term. And, and so one wonders, 
you know, have are we on the precipice of the death, if you will, of evangelicalism in North America? And you know, I when I answer that question, my heart wants to say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not there yet. We could be very close to it, but thanks uh, be to God himself that the majority of evangelicals live outside of the United States. Mm. And so I think it's to them that we need to look and say, you know, what does it mean now to be evangelical? What can we learn from our brothers and sisters around the world? And, And one of the things that I learned personally from them is that in those places where we see the gospel growing the most, we see it it, it primarily due to the transformation of people because of the gospel, Mm. not the change of systems, civil systems, social systems, or whatever, and not the legislation of morals or Mm. values. It's the gospel that transforms. And so I think if we could recover that in American evangelicalism, and and you know, I, I know people believe that, it's just the actions that we see are uh-huh. telling us that really people think that change is going to come when governments change or legislation is uh, put into place yeah. or uh, systems are changed uh, that discriminate and so on. But the reality is it's the gospel that changes, that transforms uh, people's lives. So, so I think if we can recover that, then yeah, we we could see uh, a sort of salvation, if you will, or evangelism. Uh, so, um, no, I I don't believe that God is finished with the American Church. Uh, I think that we are in a position where we risk, just as the Church in Ephesus did. We risk having our last stand removed and no longer be a beacon uh, in the world. And, and that would be tragic because the ramifications of the American church losing her lampstand uh, is that it will have a dramatic effect on, on global missions. Mm. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm hoping and praying uh, that we'll be able to recover our identity uh, as really what it truly means to be historically orthodox evangelicals. Yeah, and and again, our God is sovereign, and whatever He is doing is always for His glory. And again, we don't know, like you said, I, I hope it's not the case, but I hope it's n- not mm-hmm. that God is removing the, the lamp set the lamp from this country uh, just because of just what we have uh, turned to, you know, and we see in the Bible that God judges nations, you know, and I mean, he did it to his own chosen people when they turned away from him and, 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 and all uh, us as uh, Christians and uh, Jesus followers, you know, we have to make sure that we're praying um, it's a, this is a, just a good reminder for me uh, to be praying for this country, our leadership, and that we turn back to God. And, and, and hopefully there's a, a great awakening here in this in this country where we do turn mm-hmm. back to God. Yeah. Well, we're, we're praying for that for sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, 
uh, Michael, um, you know, Romans uh, 10, 14 uh, says, how would they call on him whom they have not believed? And how would they believe in whom they have not heard? And how would they hear without a preacher? Uh, Dr. Cooper, can you just please share the gospel with our worldwide audience today? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. You know, I love that passage, Abe, uh, Romans 10. And as that passage continues, uh, that Paul asks this question. It's a rhetorical question. And he says, well, have they not heard? Mm. And then he quotes Psalm 19, which begins that the heavens declare the glory of God. And I know right now that as evangelicals, you know, we haven't had a good voice in our country. And, and, and oftentimes we've We've actually offended people, and we're heartbroken because of that. But in spite of us, in spite of the things that we've said, and in spite of the things that we've done, we understand that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, just like all people are sinners in need of forgiveness. And, And if you aren't able to listen to our voice because of uh, how discredited we've become. Look at what God has done. His His voices uh, demonstrated throughout all of His creation, and He desires so much to have a relationship with you. Um, he, he loves you. It, 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 he uh, has sent His Son for you, who has shown us how that we are to be focused and committed to one. God, that we're to carry out acts of kindness towards others, and we're to learn on Him and disciple other nations. And so I, I hope that uh, you'll be challenged to go and read for yourself uh, the, the wonderful Gospels in the New Testament to learn about who Jesus is and what He's done for you. And I'd encourage you to even start with the Gospel of John. Um, and where he reminds us uh, the, of Jesus' words, that God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So I hope that if you're struggling with hearing the, the words, the voice of an evangelical, that you would hear the words of Jesus desires you to have uh, to, who desires for you to have eternal life and to not perish. Amen. Well, thank you, Dr. Michael Cooper, for coming on. Um, where can our listeners find your new book, When Evangelicals Sneeze, Curing the American Church from the Plague of Identity Loss? And where can they find you if you want to be found? Yeah, the, the, well, the book is available at Amazon. So if you uh, simply go to Amazon dot com and do a search for when evangelical sneeze uh, it, it, it should appear and uh, to get in contact with me the, the best place for that to happen is through our ephesiology Facebook page so at ephesiology or through our website uh, ephesiology.com uh, those are two great places to uh, connect with me and I'd love to interact with your listeners I, I think this is such an important topic and mm. It's not a topic that any vo- any one voice will have an answer to, but mm-hmm. I believe it's a collective voice of all of us uh, coming together to really listen and hear from each other uh, to, so that we can recover and restore uh, a good, proper 
evangelical voice in uh, in our American context. Yeah, uh, yeah. Please go check out uh, Dr. Cooper's uh, website. I mean, uh, we, you know, my wife and I uh, will go on there and, and check it out. And I mean, there, it's really good. Ephesiology dot com. Please go check it out. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for coming on Bridge Radio again. Uh, it is such a blessing uh, for you to take the time out of your day to spend with us and our listeners around the globe and here in the United States. Um, and yeah, thank you. Hey, you're welcome, Abe. I appreciate you having me on. It's such a pleasure and delight for sure for me to be with you guys. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode with Dr. Michael T. Cooper on his new book, When Evangelical Sneeze, Curing the American Church from the Plague of Identity Loss. Uh, again, uh, for our audience, we had a little audio, uh, you know, issues there, uh, just, uh, so, uh, sorry about that, but thank you for just uh, hanging in, in there. Um, I mean, please go pick up the book. I mean, there's so much more that we did not touch on. Again, I always say this all the time. We only have about 40, 45 minutes and please go out and get the book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, uh, we, I enjoyed it very much, especially during this time of, of the vision. Uh, again, we are Christ followers first. That's where our identity is in Christ, not our political views. Uh, yet, though, that's fine that we identify with Republicans or Democrat. But one thing that we need to be under the banner of is Christ. And, and, and I understand that maybe... Some are listening to this podcast and, you know, might not agree with uh, 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 Dr. Cooper, and that's okay. Uh, I think his book just kind of uh, uh, makes you think, you know, where where is our identity? You know, we like to say that it's in Christ, but how are we practicing that, you know? So um, please go out and get his, get his book. I, I know that it will definitely make you think. Um, please don't forget again to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, thank you again for all our listeners. Uh, just want to give a shout out to our Canadian brothers and sisters up north. Uh, you guys have been coming on really strong. Um, uh, I was just checking, uh, our viewership. I, I love to look at those, uh, like to look at those numbers, uh, just our international audience, uh, as well. And yeah, thank you. Europe, uh, you guys have been coming on strong. Uh, UK, you guys are always strong out there. Uh, we've been seeing Netherlands and Iceland. So, you know, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate everything you do. Well, uh, just like we like to end the show, guys, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Till next week. Later.